The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Innovating Innovation with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. I say it because I mean it. The buzz today, change before you have to. Well, that was by Jack Welch. Very telling information from a former captain of industry at GE. And let's talk about our topic today. A disruptive innovation model creates a new market and value network and eventually disrupts an existing market and value network, displacing established market-leading firms, products, and alliances. I didn't make this up. This comes from Clay Christensen, and I'll tell you in a few minutes who that is. The model tends to be produced by outsiders and entrepreneurs. Why? Because enterprises need resources for their profitable, competitive, sustaining innovations. They don't have time for all of this, but they still need to change. So I have a panel of three experts. They are regulars here on our series, Innovating Innovation with Game Changers. We'll be speaking today with Professor Rajiv Srinivasan, with Suraj Sudhi, and with Lakshman Pachanela Sashadri, known to us as Lucky. So let me get started with a quote from Professor Rajiv Srinivasan, who is an adjunct faculty in innovation at the Indian Institute of Management in Bangalore and the chief consultant running an electronics hardware incubator set up by the Indian government. And Rajiv has sent us a quote from the gentleman I just quoted, Clayton Christensen. Let me just tell you who he is, an American scholar, educator, author, business consultant, and religious leader who serves as the Kim B. Clark Professor of Business Administration at the Harvard Business School and many other appointments. By the way, he is six foot eight inches tall, and he's a basketball player. That's Clayton Christensen. Here's the quote Rajiv has selected. The reason why it is so difficult for existing firms to capitalize in disruptive innovations, their processes and business model that make them good at the existing business, business actually make them bad at competing for the disruption. Professor Rajiv, welcome back. How are you? Thank you, Bonnie. I'm doing great, and I hope you're doing well, too. I am fine, thank you. We got a lot of Clay Christensen floating around here at the opening of the show, Rajiv. Uh, somebody quoted him on a show a couple of years ago. I haven't heard any quotes in a long time, so I'm very appreciative that you brought him up. So tell me, what are we talking about here? We're talking about innovation in entrepreneurs. We're talking about innovating innovation, our topic, but saying, ah, existing companies, not so much. So why don't you give us a good introduction to why you picked this quote? Well, the the point of uh, innovation is that it happens everywhere. And uh, the larger companies, whom we call incumbents in our, our discussion here, are also innovating, 
However, they tend to do a particular kind of innovation that's incremental. Instead of taking large risks, they tend to do small changes, you know, sort of, uh, you might even call them timid changes that do not change things too much. Okay, mm-hmm. and that's incremental innovation as defined by uh, Christensen and some other people. Christensen then goes on to define something called disruptive innovation, which is what we're going to talk about today, which radically changes the, changes the status quo. And uh, the, the idea here is that that kind of radical innovation can either fail spectacularly or it can become the new norm. And uh, the larger sort of uh, um, the, the incumbent companies tend to be very poor at that. And usually the radical or disruptive innovation comes from what we might call insurgents, people who really don't have much of a stake in the existing status quo, which uh, frees them up to uh, do some, you know, out-of-the-box thinking. And that is the difference that we are uh, looking at today. What happens to the incumbent is that, you know, they may have internal capability to do the radical innovation, but they're constrained both by their uh, sales forces, as well as their customers, as well as their marketing and uh, finance people in-house, who, with, with one voice, as it were, will say, no, let's not do something rash, something that really, you know, overturns everything we know. Let's just, you know, continually improve what we're doing. And uh, that sounds good on paper, and, you know, mm-hmm. everybody runs Excel spreadsheets and whatnot and uh, demonstrates that you're going to make money on this, you know, improvement. Unfortunately, you may get somebody who comes and basically cuts the, the ground out from underneath you through the radical innovation. And that uh, is the point that Christensen is making, that if you are a, uh, a rather uh, staid, large incumbent, you're unlikely to take the risk. And unfortunately, if you do not take the risk, somebody else will take the risk. And instead of you cannibalizing your existing products, they will cannibalize your products. So you might as well go ahead and do it anyway. Very interesting. It sounds like we're talking about the need for a culture shift, a mindset shift. Uh, before I go on to our other panelists, Rajiv, just tell me, does this require some evolutionary or revolutionary thinking on the part of the leaders of the company? Is this something where you need to basically shake up the, the C-suite and say, hey, guys, everything's going to change out there in the marketplace. It's great to keep on doing the same old, same old, but the times they are a change in, other companies are entering our space, we got to move and groove here, or we're not going to be around in 6 to 10 or 12 years. So is this something that that needs to be pounded into them? Hello, Mr. Mr. and Ms. CIO, CMO, CEO, all of the other C-suite, you've got to think disruptively now. It's for your health. How does that mindset change? Just quickly, Rajiv? Yeah, well, I I think the the CXO types know this. It's mm-hmm. their uh, underlings, if you will, the lower-level people who have great difficulty in making this happen. The CEOs, etc., cetera, uh, are, have already internalized it. And what they typically do is they may create skunk works, you know, small experimental groups mm-hmm. whose charter is to go off and do uh, radical things. Unfortunately, when these skunk works guys come back to the mainstream with their product, they get shot down by the sales guys and the finance guys and the marketing guys. So a culture of innovation, however, if you can do that uh, by, you know, it's, it's got to be marketed internally that, as you just said, you know, innovations are coming and, you know, the bad guys are out there, barbarians are at the gates, therefore we better uh, buck up and, you know, revisit some of our uh, uh, assumptions. That's uh, sort of what uh, 
the culture has to be that the CXO has to encourage all over the company. Thank you very much. Very, very interesting. I like you said the barbarians are at the gate. I can just, I can see them. I can see them just banging down. Hello, CXO. We're here. <laughs> We're taking over. Too bad you missed your Bye. chance. And and kudos to Mr. Christensen. Let me bring on Siraj Sudi, uh, who is an alumni of the SAP Entrepreneurship Program. And Siraj has sent us a quote from Andy Grove added to a quote from Siraj. So let me just tell you who Andy Grove is. He just left us this year. He lived from 1936 to March 2016, a Hungarian-born American businessman, engineer, author, and science pioneer in the semiconductor industry. Those of you who were too young to remember, he was one of the founders and CEO of Intel Corporation, helping transform the company into the world's largest manufacturer of semiconductors. Uh, He also had a considerable influence on the management of modern electronics manufacturing industries around the world. Interestingly enough, Steve Jobs, who was considering coming back to be Apple CEO, called Andy Grove, whom he idolized and asked him for his personal advice. In 1997, Time magazine chose Andy Grove as the man of the year the person most responsible for the amazing growth, interesting the time we use the word amazing, amazing growth in the power and the innovative potential of microchips. Uh, unfortunately, he, he uh, contracted Parkinson's disease later on and contributed to organizations sponsoring a cure, passed away on March 21st, 2016. Here's the quote. Okay, get to it already, Bonnie. Only the paranoid survives. And then the quote that Siraj has added is, Everyone else sleeps, dreams, and dies. Oh, my. Siraj Sudi, how are you? Very fine, Mani. How are you doing? I'm fine. Thank you for joining us. I'm so happy to be back with the three of you. It's it's like uh, like a reunion here. So tell me, are you a big fan of Andy Grove? He certainly made his oh, mark yes. in so many ways. Oh, tell yes. me about the Grove. Oh, yes. I, yeah, so I read this book by uh, Andy Grove in 1998 when I was in college. And it is one book which has remained constantly burned on my forehead or or constant in my brain since that time onwards. And everywhere I look, I actually see whatever he said actually makes perfect sense. It, it just keeps on replaying over and over again. So I think the crux of what he says is that any large company or any any organization for that matter cannot rest on its laurels. It has to keep constantly keep looking out into the horizon and see what is going to change or what is going to disrupt the company from either from outside or even from within. So this is what he keeps on saying that only the paranoid survives because it is almost like in a state of paranoia. I'm constantly afraid who is the one who is going to come and eat my lunch, right? So and that is exactly what uh, Andy Grove faced even in Intel, where at one point of time they were the leaders in memory chips. And when the Japanese came over and started creating this low-cost chips, they were almost going out of the market. And that's when they made the huge <clears throat> disruptive leap, leap into micros, microprocessors, and, guess, and that's how Intel became world-famous. But that was a really big, wild, disruptive change for Intel, which was never into microchips, and it was just a small R&D project in one part of the organization to suddenly mm-hmm. come and make that the mainstay and move their entire business towards it. So that really shows the power of paranoia, the fact that they knew that they could be disrupted and they actually had their other efforts going on. The best example of somebody who basically has seen a change coming but did not do anything about it was something like Blockbuster, which finally went bankrupt recently because of of that event of Netflix. So yes, 
So the, the quote still stays, paranoid survives. Back in 98, even now in 2016, it is still relevant and valid. Very interesting. Uh, it goes to the barbarians at the gate that Rajiv just talked about. I like that. Now, now your uh, your your side note here: everyone else sleeps, dreams, and dies. I guess, uh, yeah, sleep, and you'll just you'll miss it, you'll lose it. Thank you, Siraj. Very happy to have you back. And now we've got our lucky panelists. Well, you're all lucky to be here. But Lakshman Pachanella Sashadri, Chief Consultant Services Innovation at SAP Consulting, and Lucky has sent us a very interesting quote from Zenya Lindgard. I had to look her up. Uh, she is a senior partner and managing director and the North America leader of BCG. That's the Boston Consulting Group Strategy Practice. And she joined the firm in 2000. She has acquired deep expertise of uh, advising clients across a range of many, many industries. And she was at consumer goods companies before that in the U.S., Europe, and Russia. But what's interesting is that the quote I'm about to read you comes from a, I think it's an essay or a paper called Business Model Innovation, and the title of the subtitle of this paper is what Lucky has sent us today. When the game gets tough, change the game. Zendaya Lingart was one of four authors, four co-authors on this. Uh, Zendaya Lingart, Martin Reeves, George Stalk, and Michael Demier. This was Chapter 40 in the publication called Own the Future. 50 Ways to Win from the Boston Consulting Group, Wiley & Sons, 2013. So again, here's the quote. When the game gets tough, change the game. So, Lucky, welcome back. How have you been? Oh, thanks, uh, Bonnie. I like this quote. This is um, uh, one of the articles um, written by the BCG consultants some time back. It's very appropriate in the context today because um, there's so much of uh, disruption happening in the businesses. And um, therefore, uh, many of the companies are getting challenged with the the new competitors, uh, particularly the startups, the new entrants coming and giving a a run for the money. And um, I'd like to quote one interesting uh, uh, example here. Um, Kaiser is uh, one of the uh, compressor pumps manufacturers. So... They, they've been one of the successful companies, but then as the competition is growing up, as well as uh, um, um, quite a lot of um, the challenges are coming into the market, they came out with a new business model. So they realized that uh, many of their customers um, are having an issue in terms of putting their um, CapEx as their operating model, which means uh, you know, they need to spend upfront money for buying the compressors. So... They looked at the usage, they looked at the uh, customer's um, um, operating operating, um, uh, model of um, uh, compressed gas. So the new solution or the new model for them is that uh, instead of selling their compressor pumps, they started leasing the compressor pumps and started um, um, charging for the compressed gas that is being consumed Mm -hmm. by their customer. So this uh, helped their customers um, uh, to obviate the upfront money on CapEx. Instead, no, they could just pay for their operating expenses, which is much more easier to manage, and it could also um, give a good uh, um, aligning into their um, P&L, which means their, um, uh, it goes as an operating expenses and um, much, much easier to manage. And the budgets also becomes easier to manage. So these are the kind of models which our corporates are now using 
so that uh, they could survive the onslaught of the new entries. So <laughs> these are uh, combating strategies, but it works, and um, these are very mm-hmm. interesting strategies. So therefore, when the game gets tough for them, so change the game. Yeah, absolutely, and and that that yeah. pre presupposes lucky that the the CXOs we were talking about w- with your co-panelists a few minutes ago that they mm. have the mindset, the I'll call it the mental strength, the corporate savvy to say we are going to change the game and then get everybody on board. Is that another challenge for them to change? Changing the game means either changing the direction or the mindset or both, uh, how the company thinks of itself, perhaps the logo or the mantra, and what they call themselves in the marketplace. Is that something that more and more big companies are embracing? Do you see that, Lucky? Yes, yes, uh, Bonnie. That um, goes without saying. Um, again, depends on um, which markets operate and um, depends on how good um, uh, they are doing in um, in, in terms of uh, in terms of their uh, financial viability. If things are doing well, they're making some huge profits, and eighty uh, percent of the customers are, are stuck with them. They don't see too much of uh, uh, tweaking their change. But then, when um, the underserved markets are getting challenged, um, I mean within their own um, customer base, that's when they start um, recognizing that there are some new guys coming and challenging them, then they mm-hmm. have to resort to something more innovative just to, to stay ahead. Stay ahead. There's no choice. They have to innovate. And uh, lots of things. One is this to respond to these uh, new entrants. Second is, I think we also discussed this sometime earlier uh, in the other show, that um, they are cultivating the internal uh, employees to become entrepreneurs to come out with some new business mm-hmm. models and new businesses that could um, help them to increase their um, uh, their portfolio and um, still uh, go ahead with their growth. Thank yeah. you very much, Lucky. Good, good intro, and thanks for answering my questions. I'm going to circle back to Professor Rajiv Srinivasan, and I'm going to ask each of you, you know, this is the time we get a little personal on the show. Rajiv, where are you calling from? And what's in your cup today? What are you drinking right now, or what do you plan to drink after the show, Rajiv? Yeah, hi, Bonnie. I'm in uh, Trivandrum, South India, and uh, uh, I, I have my cup of coffee with me. It's about uh, 8.30 p.m. in India, it's sort mm-hmm. of a nightcap, um, you might say. But the thing that I um, was hoping to have, I do not have with me, because I just made a trip to... Uh, Southeast Asia, I went to Cambodia to see the wonderful temples there, and I was told that there is this extraordinary coffee that you can buy in Southeast Asia, which is among the most expensive in the world, and, mm-hmm. now wait for this, it comes out of the body of a civet. They feed yes. it to a civet, yes. and uh, then it comes out the other end, and uh, I mean, it, it, so I, I was hoping to Get hold of a bit of that. Not that I wanted to drink it, but I just wanted to have a good story about it. So, unfortunately, I, I, I didn't manage to buy any. So I think you probably I I do. 
Rajiv, we've had that mentioned by panelists on many of our shows over the past few years. It's called Kopi Luvak, K-O-P-I-L-U-W-A-K. It's, yes, Kopi or Luwa. I don't think the K is pronounced. It's civet coffee and it includes partly digested coffee cherries eaten and defecated by the animal known as the civet. So it's okay to say it in polite terms and apparently it's delicious and it is the world's most (laughs) expensive coffee. So uh, go for it. It's in, in Indonesia. Very interesting. Uh, thank you, Rajiv, for that very picturesque thought. I have a question for you. You say you're drinking coffee. It's 8.30 at night. Is this decaf or you can you tolerate caffeine before you go to bed? No, I'm okay with caffeine. This is I'm drinking black coffee. And this is sort of a, a typical nightcap that we have here. And, uh, you know, it doesn't keep me awake. You put anything interesting in it, a little bit of uh, something sweet, a little liqueur, maybe a little amaretto or Kahlua or Tia Maria, something like that, or just straight? It's straight, although um, in the mornings, occasionally I have a little bit of, uh, you know what ghee is? That's uh, Indian clarified butter. Yeah. put a little bit of that into it, and uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's nice, you know, without they- without sugar, a little bit of ghee. But well, not I'm like glad that. you're... Glad you're staying awake for us. We appreciate that. Now let's turn to Siraj Sudi. Where are you calling from, Siraj? And what's in your from, cup today? Uh, yeah, I'm calling from Bangalore, Bonnie. And I am having a, cl- a cup of uh, ginger tea. Uh, it is milk tea with ginger added into it. So that's, that's, that's my drink for the day. Thank you very much. You put anything in it? No, so it's a sweet tea. It has a lot more ginger than normally uh, people what people have because I like ginger a lot. So it's it starts burning in the throat when you drink <laughs> cups of it. Feels really good. So that's 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 definitely what I like to have. To I was evening. gonna say <laughs> ginger has ginger can be a little bit uh, caustic or uh, acidic or acerbic. You might say. Thank you very much. Yep. Very interesting. Pick. I'm picturing both of you drinking, and now we have to find out. Lucky, where are you calling from, and what are you drinking that's interesting today, Lucky? Oh, Bonnie, I um, I'm from Bangalore. I'm taking the call from home. I just finished my dinner and having um, what we call as masala chas, which means the diluted um, yogurt um, uh, in water. So, and we add to that um, coriander. Um, some mm. fine cut uh, ginger and very mm. little bit of um, chili. So a little, very, very, very little, just about one or two small uh, slice of chili. So it is very, very tasty. And um, ginger, as uh, Suraj said, um, ginger gives you a good feeling as well as, um, yeah, it, it gives a good digestion power. Very, very healthy for you. Well, the only thing they let me have, as the three of you know, is uh, cool, clear water on a radio show day. No caffeine for me. We're talking to three of our favorites. We have Rajiv Srinivasan. We have Suraj Sudi and Lucky Sashadri. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This is Innovating Innovation with Game Changers, and our topic is New Disruptive Business Models Changing the Enterprise Role. And my opening quote was from Jack Welsh. Change before you have to. That's the message. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, Rajiv will start the roundtable. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back. Jason, out.
The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Factors as diverse as insights from growing volumes of data, the new global pool of talent, resource scarcity, and business networks and supply chains are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. Innovating Innovation with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. You're listening to Innovating Innovation with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Innovating Innovation with Game Changers. Welcome back. This is Innovating Innovation with Game Changers. We're talking today about new disruptive business models. Changing the enterprise role is an insurgent knocking at your door with new ideas, new products, new ways of doing business. Are you being complacent? Well, we're going to talk you out of that really fast. I'm speaking with three of our regular panelists. So happy to have them back here. It's Professor Rajiv Srinivasan, and we have Siraj Sudi, and we have, we'll just call him Lucky, and we are lucky to have him. So I'm I'm looking at the notes sent to me by Professor Rajiv Srinivasan before the show, and here's where we're going to start this part of the conversation. Rajiv says, and I quote, an insurgent who does not have an existing customer base to worry about can proceed with disrupting a market. Why don't you talk to us, Rajiv? What are we talking about here? Yeah, the, uh, there is a truism, of course, that you hear all the time that the customer is always right. And, you know, on average, that's a fairly decent maxim to go by. But it turns out in this context that your customers actually end up being your downfall. And this is the way uh, Christensen has explained that. You might have a, uh, uh, an incumbent company that's serving its customers. Everybody's happy because the customers are getting the performance that they need. And uh, the, the incumbent is slowly but surely improving the performance uh, 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 specs of his product. So everything's great. And then if you, if you, as the incumbent, go and ask the customer, tell me what you want. Okay, typically what the customer will tell you is very simple, the same thing you're giving me now, but cheaper, faster, better terms, etc. right? And all this mm-hmm. sounds very reasonable. Now, unfortunately, what uh, may happen is that the little insurgent who's been banging at your gate and who has a, an interesting product today may slowly creep up that performance, uh, uh, that parameter, uh, uh, that access, performance access, if you will. And at one point, it turns out that the insurgent has the performance that your customer needs. And guess what happens at that point? The customer just abandons you and goes for the insurgent generally because mm-hmm. the insurgent's product is cheaper, right? So this is the crux of the innovator's dilemma, if you will, that once you innovate something, you're not going to be able to rest on your laurels or to listen to your customers because your customers are effectively going to betray you, even though that's not their intent. They're going to betray mm. you because they like the status quo, but once they find that the insurgent has come in with a product that's considerably better, 
they will just abandon you wholesale. And that is the problem that uh, uh, hits many companies. And today, I'll give you an example. You know, India has uh, a significant number of large IT services companies who have been doing rather well. You know, they've been exporting, you know, a great deal of uh, software. I think it's something like $75 billion or something a year is their, uh, is their revenue. However, they have been hit by this unexpected insurgency, which we know as the cloud. And mm-hmm. it's too long to go into the details. However, it turns out that many companies are now switching their allegiance to the cloud, which is leaving the IT services companies, I'll name a few names, you know, Tata, Infosys, Wipro, etc., with a somewhat desperate struggle to hang on to their market because the market is moving away from them. So that's the kind of problem. So the insurgents, the cloud people who came in to begin with, they had no customers, so they had nobody to please. So they just went ahead and concentrated on the technology and the performance improvement and so forth. And the same kind of uh, uh, scenario occurred in the uh, computer market in general because early on, as all of us know, the, um, the mainframe company, uh, computers from IBM, the market, everybody who was anybody went and bought an IBM computer and everybody has you know, happy and and uh, and uh, uh, everybody was quite uh, um, uh, productive, etc. And then along came these PCs a few years later, and the PCs were considerably cheaper. And as uh, Lakshman said, you know, the, the business model also may have changed. Where instead of having a you know sort of a monolithic centralized data data center, sort of like a cathedral, you started having a bazaar where you had all these little clusters of uh, PCs that were, you know, not totally under the control of the central organization. And in a way, IBM was lucky to escape without being eviscerated by these uh, PC guys, but they they also suffered. They're no longer the dominant power that they were. So both these uh, cases show how, you know, uh, an insurgent can come in and without having to bother about their existing customers, since they don't have any, they will be able to quickly uh, strip you the incumbent of the customers. And that is a big problem that uh, the incumbents face. Big problem. And just a quick question for you, Rajiv, before I move on and get Siraj and Lucky in here. Uh, when you say insurgent, are we talking about startups? Are we talking about lean, mean startups, entrepreneurs who are sitting out there ready to pounce in your market? Is that who these insurgents are all the time? Or could it be other established businesses that are doing a very well-orchestrated pivot and maybe leading it, going into your market full force? Where, where would these insurgents be coming from? Well, the majority of the insurgents are smaller companies who mm-hmm. have figured out some new technology. But right. it's also possible for an existing company that's, uh, you know, I mean, for example, an existing company that your competitor may decide that the best way of competing with you is to attack you in your core area. Mm-hmm. I'll give you one example. Microsoft, for a long time, its uh, core products were Windows and uh, Office. And Google, which is, you know, by no means a, a startup uh, at this time, it's been around for a while, Google said, look, we've got to hurt Microsoft where, where, you know, they would really feel it because the majority of their profits are coming from Microsoft Office. And guess what? We will give an Office competitor away for free, right? And that, in uh, a couple of years' time, has forced Microsoft to give Office also away, generally, for free on uh, certain devices, Right. So that's an example of a uh, not-so-small company 
coming in and being an insurgent, but usually it's uh, really small guys who do that. Thank you very much. I'll have something else to say about that in a few minutes. Siraj, let's get your, your two cents or two dollars, whatever you got in your wallet today. What's your comment on what Rajiv just has uh, started for us? No, so I agree with what Rajiv said. I think it's typically the um, innovations, uh, basically what disrupts a firm is essentially the smaller companies which comes and comes with new ideas which are not really having any market when it starts out, but slowly starts building up, and then finally it takes over the main market. Um, The key part which I think what happens is that I think one of the largest problems for large companies essentially is that there are too many things to look into, and essentially they may not, they have to make a decision on what bets to make. So for example, let's say if um, there are different things that can disrupt a company, they might be evaluating it, but at any point of time they may not really know what is going to disrupt, right? And that creates the basic issue. So one uh, very pertinent example which I wanted to give was the case of Yahoo, which essentially now has gone under the hammer and been bought over. So there was a very interesting article I read a couple of, um, I mean, almost a year back, I guess, where they were, somebody in Yahoo was defending the strategy of not buying Google, but rather using Google as the search engine on the Yahoo homepage, right? So the the rationale was the following, that uh, the search technology at that point was fairly nascent. Hardly anybody was having a dominance in the market. And what Yahoo thought was it was good enough to just keep switching between the different players in order to ensure that the, the customers of Yahoo got the best search experience. But never in their wildest dream they thought that search itself could become a profitable business. Now, what really happened was once Google came up on board, what Google did was they, their entire product was based on crawling as many pages as possible and hence making an accurate recommendation. And lo and behold, they get the jewel, which is Yahoo. And using mm-hmm. being on the Yahoo's homepage, they were able to entirely crawl the content, which really powered up their web engine, right? And then as a result of which, when they learned, when they created the click business model, Google leaped leapfrogged forward and became the dominant player as it is today. So even even though, yes, the incumbent or the main large organizations are not sleeping or basically they are looking around, what the problem which they face is they are not sure which one of these small innovations or the small companies are really going to disrupt the market. And by the time when they come to realize it probably would happen too late. So this is what really goes on in these uh, specific markets. Thank you, Siraj. Very well put. I'm looking at your notes, and we'll be talking about them in just a moment here. Let's get Lucky in on this conversation. Lucky, disruptors, who are they? Where are they? Thoughts? Yeah, this is, uh, yeah, the, the new entrants, particularly the startups, is um, a real challenge for the large companies, like uh, uh, going with uh, Rajiv and uh, Suraj. So, very true. So, um that the the startups or the disruptors who are um, not only changing the products, but um, their main focus is to get the new business model which could completely turn the table and uh, make uh, a big success of uh, their entry. But it's interesting the way they do this. Um, um, I like to uh, quote uh, Netflix as a, a good example here. If you look mm-hmm. uh, some years back, um, Many of the uh, U.S. Uh, uh, consumers uh, or the individuals who like to watch movies, they were uh, very popular with uh, the blockbusters. Uh, you know, as a blockbusters company, they are many of their customers. 
So they had uh, whatever they want from Blockbuster available uh, served uh, at their home and uh, they could enjoy the films. At the same time, uh, Netflix also came into uh, context and then when they came in, um, you know what, then um, uh, they looked at uh, the underserved uh, market of the Blockbuster's customers um, who were not too very particular about uh, uh, when they could get their movies whenever they want to you know, order it with Netflix's online uh, system because um, it takes time and they don't mind waiting for it and um, Netflix was uh, offering the service and Blockbuster didn't really care. They think that they thought that uh, anyway Netflix was doing something which didn't really affect their main customer base. But then when the new technologies came in and uh, uh, which allowed Netflix to uh, bring, you know, bring in the streaming video over the internet, the whole game changed. Mm-hmm. And then what they gave in there, they got directly into the Blockbuster's uh, customer base and that's it. And then uh, they got most of the Blockbuster's core customers and offering a wider selection of um, content. And you can watch whenever you want and you know what's there happening Netflix now, on demand, low price, high quality. And most important is uh, highly convenient. And there goes a Blockbuster and here comes a new entrant from nowhere completely you know, disrupting Blockbuster and the likes in the, in the market. So this is very, very interesting, isn't it? So this is what I think big, many of the bigger corporates are really afraid of and they're now being very, very watchful. Very interesting, Lucky. I just Googled uh, Netflix stole Blockbuster customers, which you said, and I Googled it, and all kinds of interesting articles popped up. One says, how Netflix and Blockbuster killed Blockbuster. Aha, that's because they weren't watching who was at the door. Number two, here's an article called, when Blockbuster forgot what business they were in. Okay. Another one, four lessons from the Blockbuster failure by David Reese. Another one, make Blockbuster great again, customers and employees in Interesting. And here's another one, uh, Blockbuster settles fight with Netflix, blah, 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 four lessons from ComputerWorld.com in New Zealand, four lessons from the Blockbuster failure. It's almost like Blockbuster wanted to die. Oh, my goodness gracious. Very interesting business lessons there. Thank you for the great example, Lucky. I'm going to quickly circle back to Rajiv and ask if there's anything you want to add to this because I want to move quickly to notes from Suraj. So, Rajiv, anything you want to wrap up on this first topic? Yeah, Bonnie, um, one thing I wanted to uh, clarify is that you know, the examples that we've given so far are all from the technology industry. Now, it is not the case that this concept applies only to the technology industry. It applies quite broadly, as Christensen has, uh, uh, has pointed out. For instance, mm-hmm. it applied in the uh, uh, steel industry, which is generally considered a rather slow-moving industry. But there, too, you know, we had the traditional players, all of whom who use the big blast furnaces, you know, that we're all familiar with, uh, mm-hmm. which require significant investment and so forth. But then a new technology player or a new technology play came into the market, which was electric arc furnaces, which could use scrap metal as opposed to, you know, uh, uh, in a virgin steel, if you will, virgin iron ingots. And it turned out that these uh, these uh, electric arc, arc furnace guys could severely undercut the blast furnace guys. And in fact, they did. And uh, it, they basically drove them out of, the, out of business in segment after segment of the, uh, the uh, seed industry. So uh, the uh, 
the, the, the point I was trying to make is that the idea of disruptive innovation, although it appears to be most uh, uh, often quoted in the context of technology industries, it is broadly uh, applicable across many market segments. And uh, uh, Christensen has had a great run with this theory explaining many, many uh, business failures, for example. Thank you, Rajiv. Did you know that he was a six foot eight inch tall basketball player, Christensen? I didn't know the basketball player, but I knew he was a six. I mean, he was a tall guy, and he's also a Mormon, if I'm not mistaken. He was a missionary uh, in uh, some foreign countries, etc. I knew that. That's guy. that's correct. He attended Brigham Brigham Young University. Took a two year leave of absence from seventy one to seventy three to serve as a volunteer for the church in South Korea and became a fluent Korean speaker. Came back, got a bachelor's of honor summa cum laude in economics, and he became a Rhodes Scholar. Then he studied at Oxford. Yes, he was the starting center on the men's basketball team at Oxford. I wanted you to know that. Then he went to Harvard to pursue an MBA that he got with high distinction. Very interesting guy. Um, by the way, he set he set a record at Harvard Business School, a record by achieving the rank of full professor with tenure in just six years. So there's another thing about Clay Christensen. Very interesting gentleman. Thank you. Siraj, I'm looking at your notes, and I'm going to do something a little different than I usually do, Siraj. I usually pick one statement for you to talk about, but I'm looking at the headlines for all this wonderful information you sent, and it reads like a how-to, a book of how to not be disrupted by the disruptors. So with your permission, Siraj, may I just read five or six statements in a row and have you comment on them? Is that okay? Sure. Sure. Okay. So first of all, you say acknowledging that you're going to be killed sooner or later is the best motivation to handle disruption. Number two, you say listen to eyes and ears on the ground and encourage them to speak out. They know what's happening before someone on the top in your company figures it out. Number three, constantly talk to customers regarding their evolving needs without bias. Very often, talk happens in the context of a successful product or service. Number four, you may not be the first, but you definitely should not be the last to adopt what is working. Number five, acquire disruptors, but don't destroy their magic by scale overheads. And number six, evolve your brand change mindset from conquering markets to conquering the mind. Wow, Siraj, this is a book. It's a habit. It's what we call a primer or a primer of how to do it. So why don't you just give us a little bit of background here on what this all means when you put it all together? Yeah, so basically we uh, constantly give, uh, we talk about the large companies getting disrupted and, you know, essentially speaking, I mean, and, I mean, basically we keep on saying that they're sitting ducks to the insurgents, mm-hmm. as what Professor Rajiv said. So um, essentially what I was trying to do was to figure out what is it that large companies can do? Because as I said, I was influenced heavily by the book by Andy Grove, Only the Paranoid Survive. So I kind of was trying to figure out what are the different ways by which large companies can actually solve or to at least mitigate these problems which comes in. And these are some of the things based on what I read, what I have seen throughout my experience in these companies, that these are some of the interesting points which can be utilized. So uh, maybe I could just talk about a couple of them and, uh, of mm-hmm. course, it could help out. So I think the first thing which I, I find which most companies don't do, 
and many large companies struggle with is to really engage with people at the front lines, right? So typically what happens is uh, your frontline people already know what is happening. I mean, the fact is they don't tell you or you haven't figured it out from them. And that is what really goes wrong in many large companies. Uh, so when, for example, when Nokia was literally um, being, uh, being going, going down the business, almost every Nokia employee, every Nokia vendor knew about their state of affairs. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, the people at the high levels hardly knew about it, and they assumed that this was either a market phenomenon or a trend or a thing. But the fact of the matter is people knew, and they were scared to talk about it. Recently, we talked, we saw about the Volkswagen scandal, right, the emission scandal where employees fixed it. They knew what was going wrong. And at the same time, nobody really had the, the culture to kind of bring them upon speed, learn from them, and then try to fix it. So this is something which is a critical piece which large companies usually miss out. It also helps them to narrow down to specific disruptors as opposed to try to run behind each and every every organization which is disrupting. The second thing which I uh, kind of wrote here is essentially that um, we need to talk to customers without bias. So what happens is, for example, when you have a successful service or a successful product, the way you talk to customers is always in the background of your successful product. So. Uh, so when a customer says or elicits a need, you basically try to map it to the product you already have, which is successful, right? And that is that creates a problem. So the classic example of that is the music industry, which uh, essentially they always thought that better and better albums is this, is the is the answer to higher sales. But whereas consumers who were consuming music were actually talking, saying that I want just one or two songs out of your whole album. I'm not interested in the whole album. So this, mm-hmm. they refused to listen to it. Uh, and there was already evidence to the contrary that uh, what consumers really wanted was one or two songs because piracy was growing haywire because everybody mm-hmm. was getting pirated songs. Despite that, they never understood it. And then finally it took an Apple to come and say that I will price an individual song at 99 cents. And that took off heavily in the music market. So this is a case where the need was there, but because the music albums were very popular or labels were very popular with their albums, they refused to listen or they refused to understand what the real need of the consumer was, which is to see or hear one or two songs in the album and not the entire album. So this is another thing which large companies do on a regular basis. We get caught or they get caught in their own success and they don't listen in the way they should. And I think maybe one more point which I would like mm-hmm. to talk about, uh, which is evolve the brand and change mindset from conquering markets to conquering minds. So what I meant by here is that ultimately, um, for a large company, the biggest power of a large company ultimately is the brand which they have made. So for example, if today when we talk about Apple products, it is the design, the quality of the products, which is what makes Apple great. Now, Of course, tomorrow Apple might get disrupted in the phone market. They might have to move to a new market. But the one thing which they can still take on to the new market is the brand image or the brand value which they carry in the consumer's mind, which is that of great design and great product. And one classic example for that, at least in the Indian context, is the Tata brand, which is typically associated with ethics and trust. So as a result of which, as a brand, they have lasted for more than a century, and they are now across different businesses starting from salt to software. Right, and they are still surviving and doing well as it is. So these are some of the things which I felt were great for a, a large company to look at how they can prevent themselves from getting disrupted or at least deal with the disruption. 
Thank you, Siraj. That that was absolutely great. Lucky, you want to chime in on this, please? Anything or uh, pick one or two that he mentioned? Agree, disagree? Yeah, no, I agree with um, uh, Suraj. <laughs> Some of his quotes are beautiful and they're very um, topical and appropriate, um, particularly when it comes to um, for the, uh, comes as challenges to, for large corporates. Um, very, very true. What I would also like to add is just about an example. I think uh, we are... Um, getting closer to the show, is um, um, this is something very interesting about IKEA, just um, how their um, the business model, although their business model is to, um, is to uh, uh, DIY, which is do-it-yourself kind of a model, uh, mm-hmm. which is very, very popular in many parts of the world. But then um, what I want to say here is their extension to the business model, which uh, helped them uh, in a very big way to improve uh, their profits, um, particularly in a country like Russia, they saw this kind of a trend that is happening. Um, whenever they opened a store in Russia, they also realized that the nearby real estate increased um, value of their real estate increased dramatically. So they had uh, uh, then explored uh, two business models simultaneously. One is to set up the stores. And, and then to capture the appreciation in the real estate values. Um, the way they, um, they capture the appreciation in the real estate is through mall development. So therefore, they came with a, a new division, which is called the Mega Mall, which makes uh, more profit on developing and um, running malls in Russia. Okay, then, and then on its traditional standalone retail business, which is the DIY um, furniture kits and so on. So this is a great uh, example of uh, a large corporate uh, while uh, staying very well on its uh, main course. At the same time, they were able to seize a new opportunity and then came up with a new model. And then uh, they're able to not only increase the top line, but also having a very healthy bottom line. So these are uh, great business models to emulate for large uh, corporates, uh, which uh, goes with what Surat said uh, earlier, uh, um, some of the corporates don't see uh, the change happening. Here is a mm-hmm. good example of uh, IKEA, so able to recognize the good change and able to capitalize on it. Yeah, that's Thank my you, Lucky. Idea. Thank you, Lucky. You know what? We have four minutes left. I want to make sure we save some time for our predictions round. So let me mm-hmm. just cut right back to Professor Rajiv and ask you, Rajiv, I can give you 60 seconds. That's all I have for each of you. Tell me, what do you predict? Let's look at the year 2020 or out as far as 2025. It's a nice quote-unquote round number, but it's just about a decade away. So what do you see happening in the next decade in terms of companies understanding disruption, understanding the insurgents, those knocking on the door, not on your door, but perhaps the door of your industries and the hearts and minds of your customers. So, Professor Rajiv, 60 seconds, predictions, please. Yeah, Bonnie, I think there are at least three different uh, kinds of uh, disruption that will will cause problems uh, to the company. And uh, this is a little bit of technology. One is uh, 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 blockchain. This is the technology that underlies Bitcoin. Okay, I think that's going to be a huge game changer for the entire financial sector and all intermediaries, trusted intermediaries like banks and even uh, government uh, uh, record-keeping functions like land records. That 
uh, is going to really change the world, you know, quite dramatically. A second disruption is uh, from biology, uh, CRISPR, by the technology of CRISPR-Cas9, and that enables you to edit genes. And then now this puts tremendous power in your hands, which can be used both for... But uh, you might be able to create, for example, uh, mosquitoes that cannot carry malaria or... or or babies that have absolutely perfect genes, right? That's the second disruption. Mm-hmm. And the third is the one that we're all rather more familiar with, that of uh, uh, intelligent machines that take over a whole lot of new functions. I think in each of these areas, we will find totally new companies that are, are come up with uh, things that we're unable to even conceive of today, and they will disrupt the uh, existing companies out there. So perhaps the big pharma companies and perhaps the big banks and even some of the big high-tech companies will all fall prey to this new disruption coming from below. Thank you. Siraj, 60 seconds. Predictions, go. So I, uh, in addition to what Rajiv said, I think there is going to be a complete change in the way we look at companies in the future because uh, one of the things which is also the um, the basis for blockchain or the, the technology under Bitcoin is the lack or reduction in trust in institutions and the increase in trust in individuals or, or, or networks, basically speaking. So what we are going to see is likely to be a more trust economy which is going to come, which means essentially large companies or institutions the way we see probably would start crumbling under their own weights because people uh, already do not want to start interacting or transacting with these large opaque institutions and more of an individual trust-based society will likely to come up, aided by new technologies. And uh, what that also means is that you are going to see a huge change in the way companies work, companies create, companies dissolve. I think this coming decade is going to be pretty interesting from that perspective. Thank you. And I saved exactly 60 seconds for Lucky. Go. Oh, thanks, Bonnie. I think um, whichever is the new technology that's going to come in, I think the, the disruption theory can guide uh, with us uh, some new strategic choices. So uh, that means that um, it could be new products and services, um, but more important is the business model, which is going to be a biggest differentiator for any of those um, new businesses to make a big difference. So business model differentiator is... Uh, it's a new thing, and it's going to be the biggest challenge for the future. Thank you very much, Lucky. I want to thank the three of you for joining me again. Always wonderful to speak with you. And a shout-out, of course, to Oscar Olmez at our show, Innovating Innovation with Game Changers. And a shout-out and good wishes to Michelle Sirier, who left SAP a while ago. Uh, Michelle, I hope your your father is feeling better. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. It's been great hosting the show, talking about a very important topic, new disruptive business models changing the enterprise role, and we gave you some really good tips and insights. I hope they are useful. So here is our call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Do it right now. Go out and be a game changer today. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Innovating Innovation with Game Changers, presented by SAP, the best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. 
Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, on Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.